Good to see you this morning. If you turn, you're with me in Matthew 25, did I already say that? I think I did. I want to bring you a message this morning that I know I'm plowing exactly where God wants me to plow this morning, entitled, When You're in a Mess, Do Your Best, Trust God for the Rest. You ever get in a mess? I mean, whether you, it's, most of the time it's a mess of my own making, but sometimes I get in a mess, and sometimes it's not a mess of my own making. I just, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I get in a mess. But let me just tell you something. I've got a God, when I'm in a mess, I've got a God that can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that I ask or think. Amen. Jesus reiterates that when he tells us that nothing is impossible with God. I don't care how big your mess is. I don't care how how long you've been in that mess. God can fix your mess. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I pray that you'd bless us with your spirit this morning. We need these messages of exhortation, but I pray the spirit of God would just confirm the truth to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've noticed that so many Christians get the idea, don't you miss this, that they can just live like they want to, bear no accountability, no responsibility, and they think God will just come behind them cleaning up their mess. Somebody say amen. Amen. We all know Christians like that. It reminds me of our children when they were small. They used to stay with grandma and grandpa. And when we'd go down to pick them up, we'd go in the basement of their house, and it would look like a tornado had hit. And mama would say, oh, just leave it. I'll pick it up. Oh, and Lisa and I would make them pick up their own toys. Now, they didn't like it. They loved making a mess, but they hated picking it up. And they got to the point where they thought they could just scatter things and do what they wanted, walk off, and Mama would pick it up. Mama's with us this morning. Amen, Mama. And uh, listen, we made them accept their responsibility. You say, but Mama was gracious and went behind. Yeah, and we were more like the law. And the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I understand. Listen, God is a gracious God. Amen. He's a gracious God. And sometimes God will pick up our messes. Somebody say amen. God's picked up my mess so many times. But sometimes... God will leave us where we are because we made our bed and he's going to let us lie in it for a little while. Yes, sir. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as the Father, the Son, in whom he delighteth. So not only does God let us wallow in our own messes sometimes, sometimes he adds chastisement. Listen to what Job says. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. <laughs> Boy, that, don't, that seems like an oxymoron. The man who God spanks, the man who God corrects. Job said that man is happy. Listen to this. Because there, he says, therefore despise not the chastening of the Almighty. When God corrects us, it is for his glory and it is for our good. 
When you get in a mess, either of your own making or something you inadvertently fell into, how do you handle it? Here's the title. When you get in a mess, do your best and trust God for the rest. I'm talking about your personal best. I'm not talking about you competing with your Christian brother or your Christian sister. I'm not talking about you competing with your neighbor. I'm, not, I'm talking about you taking what God has given you, your talent level, your skill level, your intelligence level, your ability level, and doing the best you can with it and leaving the rest up to God. You know what we do? We worry. We, we, we sit around and worry. Instead of doing our best, we worry about it. Instead of doing our best, we shrink from it. We hide from it. And God says, I want you to do your best and trust me for the rest. What is my best, preacher? The best at your skill level. The best at your stage in life. Amen. Now, we're all at different stages in life. We're all at different financial stages. We're all at different intelligence stages. We're all at different skill levels. And God doesn't expect out of me what he expects out of you, and he doesn't expect out of you what he expects out of me. We're different. And so God, but here's what he expects. He expects George to, to operate at my skill level, at my intelligence level. He expects me to operate and, and do my best for him and trust him for the rest. You ever see a person, we had a, a family that didn't live far from us, and they didn't hardly have anything. They lived on a very, very limited income. They had a small home. They didn't have nice vehicles. But what they had, they kept it very well. Are you all with me? And it was very much admirable. As a matter of fact, when we used to drive to church by that house, I'd say, Lisa, look over there. That's just a little house, a little family. They don't have much, but it was always neat. It was always well kept. You could tell they appreciated what God gave them. They did the best with what they had, and God blessed. Amen. And that's what I'm preaching this morning. Listen, God sees our heart. He knows at what stage of life we're in. He knows our downsetting. He knows our abilities. He knows our uprising. Rising. He knows our weak areas. Amen. He knows our strengths. He knows when we are applying ourselves. He knows when we're trying. He knows when we're giving it our best shot. God knows. Let me give you something a little negative right off the bat, but it's so true. So often in the Bible, we have questioned in the Bible, and we've questioned in our lives, why does God bless the wicked? David asked the question in Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? Lord, I'm living right. I'm doing right. I'm going to church. Why do the wicked prosper? David asked that question in Psalm 73. Solomon asked that question in Ecclesiastes. Amen. Job asked that question when he went through all of his trials and troubles. Why do the wicked prosper? Let me just offer you a solution there. Maybe God sees them doing their best. 
Is it wrong for God to bless a lost person? No. Boy, that made a somber note, didn't it? Let me just dive down there. I don't care if you like his preaching or not, but I'm telling you the truth. If I had a son, and I have one, and he wouldn't try, he was on dope, he was a drunkard, he was just basically a sorry person. Hey, listen. And I had a neighbor who didn't have much, but I saw them trying, attempting, applying themselves, employing themselves, implementing their skills, doing the best they could. Let me tell you something. I'd help my neighbor before I'd help my son. You say, well, preacher, you're not being very gracious. I'm being honest. And I'm, I think I have the mind of God on this. I think I understand at times why the wicked prosper because they're off of their duff doing something. Amen, preacher. But now let me ask you this. If God will bless the wicked for doing their best, what do you think God will do for his own child? If my son's doing good and I'm proud of him and he's working hard and he's applying himself, he's got a good work ethic and I'm, man, you, don't you think I wouldn't bend over double backwards for him? You listening? And that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to do that for his children. Amen. And so God helped me to do what God has given me and give it my best shot. And trust him for the rest. Look at Matthew 25. We're going to read 15 verses of scripture. Matthew 25 beginning at verse number 14. Very familiar passage of scripture. But there's a lot here that we want to see. The Bible says in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Who calleth his own servants. And delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents. And to another two and to another one, and to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now stop right there. I want you to write something in your Bible. Your King James Bible says that he distributed all these talents out to these men according to their several ability. That means, write this in your Bible, their individual skill levels. God gave them talents according to their individual skill levels. Are you done writing? Write that in there. That God did not, well, let's, let's keep reading. And uh, where was I? Verse number uh, 16. He that, then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that received two, he also gathered two. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That is a word that's where we get our word logistics, logismo. He reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou delivered unto me five talents, and behold, I have gained them beside five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Underline that. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. 
His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. When he had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou wert a, underline this word, hard man. I knew that you were a hard man. That is a description of the Lord. You say, but preacher, the Lord's gracious and kind and loving and merciful. And he died on a cross for our sins. Yeah, but the Bible says here that he's hard. In another companion passage of scripture, the Bible says that he's austere. You know what the word austere means? Strict. Amen, preacher. I knew thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. <laughs> he gave him back one talent. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and I gather where I have not strewed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or usury or interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that say that uh, hath shall be given, and he that and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that he hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We find that this man was given one talent according to his individual skill level, his individual ability. And, and the Lord, listen to me carefully, the Lord has been described here as a hard man or an austere man, a strict man, a man who says, I, I have certain expectations of you, I have a certain responsibility that you need to accept, an accountability that you need to accept, and I expect this of you. But the man who was given one talent, he wasn't expected to make ten. Somebody say Amen. The man who was given five wasn't expected to make ten. They were expected to do the best with what they had. Do your best. Trust God for the rest. He merely expected this man to employ what talents he had, to engage himself, to become confident and competent. Amen. But this guy wound up in a mess with God. Now, it's one thing to be in a mess with the world, and it's quite another thing to be in a mess with God. I don't know about you, but I make enough messes. Somebody say amen. I make enough messes. I don't need to be in a mess with God. So the, may the Lord help me as pastor to do the best with what I've got. I have a limited, finite intelligence. Listen, I know some preachers that can just hop in this pulpit and preach a message right off the top of their head. If I do that, I told you last week, if I open my mouth, the devil feels it. I need to study. God help me to get in my study and do my personal 
best. Amen. I don't have the skill level of some preachers. But you know what? I'm just taking what God gave me and I'm trying to do the best with it. Amen. Amen. That's all he expects. That's all he asks of me. This man should have done his best and trusted God. I got to thinking about this. And I love this example. And I hope this hits home to you. I thought about David. David was facing Goliath. David the underdog. Goliath the big strong dude with all the muscles and strength. David was facing him. And David needed a weapon. And all he had was a sling. He didn't even have any rocks for his sling. And the Bible says when he faced Goliath, that he, in 1 Samuel, that he was the least armored. David was the one who would be voted most likely to not succeed. Amen. David was just a shepherd boy, but he took what he had. He took his ability. He took what was available, and he used it for the glory of God. David was untrained in the art of war, and Goliath was battle-hardened. David would not wear Saul's armor, and Goliath's armor weighed as much as David himself. David was younger and inexperienced, and Goliath was older and more adept. Yet David went down. Here's where I, I'd like to preach this message all by itself. David went down to the creek and chose five smooth stones. He didn't go to the slate dump and get an old jagged, ragged rock. He, went, he knew with his slinging experience that if he got smooth stones that they would fly straighter and be more aerodynamic. You know what he was doing? He was employing his own intelligence. He was employing his own experience. He was going to employ his ability. So he chose five smooth stones. Now, you know what you and I do a lot of times? We make a mess with life, or we get in a mess like David, and we say, oh, I'll just go over here to the slate dump. I mean, I'll pick this old jagged rock out, this old rough rock, this flat rock. I'll load it in my sling, and God will just do the rest of it. You didn't do the best with what you had. And one of the reasons you say, well, I trusted God, preacher. That I got in that mess and I trusted God. Did you do your best? Did you employ your intelligence? Did you employ your skill levels? Or were you like the one with the one talent that said, well, I'll just trust God. Well, God wants you to get off your butt and do something too, amen. Yes, sir. So David... Chose, he didn't choose an old rough sawtooth rock. He got the, he did the best. And listen, God looked down and he saw David's heart. Amen. Amen. He saw David's disposition. He saw David's ability. He saw David's skill level. And above all, he saw David's faith. And God said, when you let that smooth rock go out of that sling, I'm going to guide it right into that old giant's forehead, and we're going to win this battle. Now, let me tell you something, Christian. You better have the idea and the mindset and the philosophy of David for life. Yes, sir, because the Lord honored David. The Lord 
honored the man who had ten talents and used it. The Lord honored the man who had five talents and used it. The Lord honored David who did the best with what was available at his own skill level. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How are you handling your mess? You know what? When Saul saw all this battle, he feared. It paralyzed him in fear. He saw David. He saw Goliath. He saw the armies of Israel hiding behind the rocks. Saul was paralyzed in fear. So were David's brothers. They were all hiding. But let me tell you something. David didn't go hide behind the rocks with his brothers and say, boy, God better do something about this. Amen, preacher. You know what we do? Listen to me carefully. You know what we do when problems arise, when issues arise? We hide and say, well, God better do something about this. Amen. You know what God is waiting for? He's waiting for a man to step up and say, here I am, send me. I may not be the best, but I'll use what I've got for your glory. I may not have it all figured out, but Lord, take what I have, what my ability, what's available to me, and I'm going to put it in your lap and trust you for it. Send me, employ me, use me, praise God. He'll do his best. You know, I've said this before, but I found the guy who quoted this from the 1800s. Let me give you some things here. He says, this is a quote from Sam Jones. He said, I pray for my daily bread, but I have to hunt for my corn pone with the sweat running down the hoe handle. You've heard that before, but I finally found the man who made the first quote. Here's some more of his quotes. The secret of a happy life is do your duty and trust God for the rest. Boy, that fit the message. Seems like the truth hasn't changed since the 1800s. Huh? Don't load a jagged rock, as Festus would say. Get a smooth one. Sam Jones. Listen to this. I don't know if this philosophy is correct, but he's a pretty smart preacher. God never does anything for a man that he can do for himself. That hit me pretty hard. Oh, Christians, you say, I don't, I don't like that. I like to sit on my butt and let God work. Well, God will work. Listen, God never does anything for a man that he can do for himself. He says this, the Lord is too busy for that, to be doing for men that that they can do for themselves. God never quit drinking for a man. That's the man's own lookout. God never quit lying for anybody. That's your own job. God never quit stealing for anybody. That is your business to look after. I like that. You say, preacher, what about that old saying that says the Lord helps those who help themselves? I say amen to that. Yes, sir. Listen, God sees when we accept our responsibility. God sees when we embrace our accountability. God sees when we do our best. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. Can I tell you something? I've hit a few home runs for Jesus. And most of the time when I've hit them home runs for Jesus, I've been as weak as water. 
I've been just as weak. I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like I couldn't go on. The devil had me beat down, and then all of a sudden, God breaks through. You know why? I was just doing my best. My best was weak. My best was not strong. My best was maybe not as the talent of somebody else, but I gave him my best, and he did something magnificent with it. Amen. You say, preacher, I'm not that skilled. Well, David was not that skilled. David was nowhere near the skill level of Goliath, but, he, but God still used him. Are you with me? David's skill level was nowhere near Goliath's skill level, but God used him. David's skill level was better than his brother's skill level, but God used him. And here's where we are. I want you to notice something about life. Let me teach you just a little something about life. We learned this in high school, and somehow we adapt it all through life. We think if somebody has a skill level, a skill silo, that we build a social silo with it. Let me give an example, if that doesn't make sense to you. If somebody has a skill level, let's say he's the best football player on the team. He has a real skill at running the ball, passing the ball, playing ball. Then you know what we do? We put him in a, in a social silo. Amen. And we, th- and we build that social silo. And if you're in with that guy, whether you play football or not, you're kind of in that social silo in that clique. Let me tell you something about God. God doesn't care about your skill level. And he doesn't care about your social level. Somebody say Amen. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him about whether you're the best player or whether you're the worst player. God doesn't care if you're on top of the social silo or on the bottom of it. God wants to use you at your ability level. That's why he distributes talents differently. Giving you some wisdom. You say, preacher, I'm not that skilled. Well, neither was David, but he won the battle, amen. Somebody said David was the best babysitter in the Bible because he rocked Goliath to sleep. I'll say amen to that. Listen, God can use you no matter what. God can multiply what you have. The little boy had five loaves and two fishes, but God used them. Amen. When he gave them in in his hands, They were five loaves and two fishes, but in the hands of the Lord Jesus, they fed a multitude. I think about Jonah. Jonah was in a mess, was he not? He was in the whale's belly. And Jonah had one little prayer, one little prayer. Prayer. I'm not talking about our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He had one little prayer left, and he prayed it, and God got, got made the whale sick, amen. And Jonah, a 150-pound man, beat a 150-ton whale with one little prayer. You know why? Because he decided he would do his best. I'll close the message here. I think of Gideon. The Midianites had gathered against Israel. By the way, let me give you a little bit of history on Israel. When God told the Israelites to go in there and push out all of the Palestinians, all of the Philistines, he said, this is your land. You go in there and you dispossess them. You wipe them out. 
He said, you go in there and you take over. And you know what? They failed in their faith. They failed in their employment of doing their best. And God said, if you don't, listen to me carefully. God said, if you don't wipe them out, they're going to be a thorn in your side forever. You know what happened yesterday? The day before yesterday, the thorn came back. Somebody said, well, preacher, God's supposed to be a God of grace. Well, you better read the Old Testament because God's pretty hard and austere at times. So that's exactly what's happened there. And God said, use your ability. Give me what you have. And so the Midianites had gathered against Israel. And God calls a man named Gideon. And the Bible says that Gideon rose up. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. The Bible says it came upon him. And God said, Gideon, you lead the men to battle. And 30,000 men showed up to battle. And God said, that's too many. Let everybody that's afraid go home. 20,000 men went home. Two-thirds of Gideon's army has already hightailed it and run from the battle. And God looks down and says, Gideon, I think if you still win this battle with 10,000, that people are going to be proud and lifted up and say, oh, look what we did. So take the men down to the water to drink, and I'll choose men there. And the Bible says that Gideon took the men down to the water to drink, and there were 300 men who went down to the creek, and they dipped their hands in the creek, and they drank out of their hands. And God said, Gideon, with the 300 men, I'm going to win this battle. Now let's think about that. 30,000 to 300. That's 1%. He's got 1% of his army. You know what? That means that Gideon had a 99% chance of failure. When you look at the figures, when you look at human logic, when you look at human region, when you do the physics and the math and the algebra and the geometry, he had a 99% chance of failure. But God said, you take the 1% and you do the best you can with what I'm giving you. And oh, the Bible says he took that 1% and he divided them up into three companies of 100 and he stood them on the mountains around and gave them lamps. And they broke those lamps and held those lights up and said, we're here with the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the Bible says that God smoked the whole camp because they believed him, gave him their best, and trusted him by faith. Amen. You say, preacher, but I'm not a Gideon. Well... When the angel found Gideon, he was, press, he was sifting wheat in the wine press because he was such a chicken. God took what he saw in Gideon, Gideon's potential, and used it for his glory. Let me give you two or three quotes and I'm done. The Lord is not looking for your strength. 
He's looking for your faith. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? The Lord knows, listen to me, the Lord knows that we're all human. He knows we're all prone to failure. And he wants us to place our faith in him so he can display his grace in us. Amen. Let me give you another one. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be faithful. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be faithful. Your best with God's best is a great dynamic. Amen, preacher. I'm going to give you an illustration and I'm going to close. I played football when I was in school, high school. The smallest guy on the team, matter of fact, the smallest guy in the whole graduating class was a man named David, a little boy named Dave. We called him Dave. Dave got on the football team. He was, oh, he just come up about my chin. But I'm going to tell you about Dave. He practiced hard. He played hard. When he put on a uniform, he gave it everything he had. And I'm going to tell you something. He was little, but he'd knock you into next week. Amen. And he, he, had, he showed no fear. He won the admiration of the coaches. Dave played first string linebacker. The other team wouldn't respect him until he hit him a couple of times. What are you saying, preacher? He did his absolute best. He played with heart. He practiced with heart. He was the most sweaty guy on the team. And the coach noticed. Not only did the coach notice, the girls noticed. He dated the girl who won Miss Virginia. She went on to compete in Miss America. What are you saying, preacher? He did his best. He did his absolute best. What makes God bless some people? Let's close the message. Why does God bless them? Why did God bless David? He was the smallest guy. Because he put his heart in it. He put his best in it. And let me tell you something. If you'll do your best in life, the heavenly coach will notice. Amen. If you'll put your heart in it, the heavenly coach will set up and pay some attention. And the one who's laying around drinking the Gatorade over there, saying, man, are we going to do another lap in practice? Amen, preacher. Y'all know where I'm at and where I'm going. Why does God bless some people? Because they give it their all. And what I'm asking of you this morning, give the Lord your best. Don't give him a jagged rock in a sling. Go to the creek and get a smooth one. Amen. Don't give him what's left over in your finances. Give him the first fruits. He deserves the best. Oh, it gets quiet when I said that.
Don't give him what's left over of your life. Well, preacher, I got this to do, this, 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 and this, and if there's time, I'll go to church. No, you make church the priority. You make God the priority. Hey, listen to me carefully. Do put God first in your life. Do your best and trust God for the rest. Amen. Where are you this morning, dear friend? You worried about something? Anxious over something? Life has handed you a tangled backlash of problems. Why don't you give it to the Lord? Right now. Why don't you give it to Jesus? Do your best and trust God for the rest. I could say it like this. Do your best and don't worry over the rest. What will God do for his own children? When he sees them struggling and trying and praying and crying and broken hearted. What will God do? Let me ask you this before I close. Is there one here that's lost? You don't know Christ as your Savior? Dear friend. You're like the person who's been given one talent, who hides that talent in the earth, and the Lord said, appoint them their portion with the unbelievers. Don't leave this church being an unbeliever, headed for hell. The grace of God, oh, listen, the grace of God is available to save you, to forgive you. The grace of God is available. God won't, if you're lost, if you'll turn it all over to Jesus, God won't leave you in that mess. I'm asking you to come right now. By your coming, you say, Preacher, I want to trust Christ as my Savior. Anybody at all, slip out of your seat. I'll take, I'll leave this pulpit. Turn somebody else loose to sing and we'll lead you to Christ. Don't die in your sin. Don't take what God has given you and say, well, I'm just going to go my own way, do my own thing, bury my talent in the earth. And Don't do that. He wants to save you. He desires to save you. We wait for just a moment. She's playing the song, little as much, if God is in it. Now, church, what I want you to do right now, right where you stand, is give yourself to Jesus. Give yourself to God and say, Lord, I don't know what I can do. I'm not even sure of my own skill levels. I'm not sure of what talents I have. I'm not sure what I possess, but everything I have, I want to give it to you. Would you do that in your seat right now where you're standing? Look this way, I'm through. Let me remind you of what God can do. He parted the Red Sea for Moses, but he shut the lion's mouth for Daniel. He killed Goliath, but he raised Lazarus. He let Abraham win a battle 
with 318 servants, but he let the whole nation of Israel lose. The whole army lost when they got in to sin. God sent a famine in the days of Isaac, but he fed the whole nation with manna when they was hungry. What are you saying? He can do, as I started the message, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or that we think. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, as we close the message today, I thank you for your precious word. God, I pray that you take these truths, that we've opened your word and we've opened our hearts and You'd take these precious truths and seal them to our hearts. Lord, help us to leave this place determined to do our best for Jesus. Help us to leave this place to give him our all. He gave his all for us. God, would you give us that heart, that attitude. Lord, I pray now that you'd dismiss us in your loving care. Watch over our church. I pray you'd build a hedge about it. I pray for the next two weeks that Brother Brian will be here doing the pastoral duties and the men who are filling in, would you bless them? Lord, would you bring us together in love and compassion? And I pray, Father, that this church would remain a lighthouse for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good day. And